You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we begin tonight with breaking news. High-profile lawyer and BC's former representative for children and youth, Mary Ellen Terpel-Lafond, is no longer employed by UBC. Let's bring in our Jordan Armstrong, who's been following this story for us. What can you tell us so far, Jordan? Sophie, this news just breaking in the last hour. The university won't say why it's cut ties with the former judge, only that as of December 16th, she is no longer a professor at the Allard School of Law. Last fall, a series of reports by the CBC raised a number of questions about Terpel Lafon's claims about her academic accomplishments and her claims of Indigenous ancestry. Terpel Lafon has been a very public figure for decades in BC and across Canada in areas of Indigenous human rights and constitutional law. In 2020, she did a report for the BC government called In Plain Sight regarding systemic racism in our province's health care system. Back in October, when the claims about her first became public, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs put out a statement standing by Terpel Lafond. They said, we are incredibly proud of the work she has done and look forward to continuing this work in the future. I have called Terpel Lafond, left her a voicemail, but so far I have not heard back. Again, UBC will only say that as of December 16th, she no longer works for the university. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Jordan Armstrong reporting for us tonight. Now to an art thief who struck twice in two days at the very same gallery on South Granville. Vancouver police quickly identified a suspect and arrested him at his home. As Grace Key reports, he is very well known to police as a chronic offender with more than 100 previous convictions. This is Rudolf Sokolovsky's artwork. George Darrell, director of Vancouver Fine Art Gallery, will be getting two sculptures back worth $37,000 after a chronic offender allegedly hit the South Granville Gallery twice. The $30,000 piece was right here. And then the other one was right here. Security video shows a man walking out with the sculpture on Friday. The next day, a man walks out with another piece. This time, he's in and out in four seconds. This guy's got balls, you know. Jor briefly followed the man and called 911. Within seconds or minutes, literally, we had the police in here. And that's when we decide, uh, they decided to watch the video. And immediately, they recognized the, uh, the thief. We sent officers to his home. Uh, in East Vancouver. He wasn't there when we arrived, but we waited outside. Within the hour, uh, the suspect walked up, still holding the stolen piece of art. We were able to arrest him on the spot. Like literally walking into his apartment with the piece in his hand. You know, that's how stupid this guy is. Police obtained a search warrant and found the other sculpture in the home. Huge shout out to uh, the gallery owner who did what we always encourage people to do, called 911. If he hadn't done that, if he hadn't called 911 right away, provided us accurate real-time information, we might not have caught him when we did. 50-year-old Francis Boivin has been charged with two counts of theft. It looks pretty innocent as a bag of groceries. Last year, the owner of Source Antiques on Main Street showed the sledgehammer used to break into her business. Boivin was charged with break and enter. He has 115 previous convictions dating back two decades. In 2016, he was charged after carrying this antique pistol onto a Coast Mountain bus. The police is incredible. Our system kind of sucks sometimes, you know, and we need to look into that. 
Boivin was ordered detained. His next court appearance is on January 17. Grace Key, Global News. Well, Canada is about to renew COVID-19 restrictions on certain flights from Asia. The feds say the move is a response to a fast-growing wave of new cases of the virus in China. But some are questioning how effective the measures will be, if at all. Krista Dell reports. In China, information is not very transparent. So Before so travel restrictions were even announced, Richmond City Councillor Chuck O oh says already he was receiving messages from the community about the possible spread of COVID and variants. And they all expressed concerns about uh, not having uh, any kind of measures to track the uh, travelers coming in. Now, Ottawa is requiring all travelers from China. Hong Kong or Macau to test negative for COVID-19 before entering Canada. The temporary measures go into effect Wednesday night at 9.01 Pacific time. The federal government says the move is in response to the surge of COVID-19 and lack of information from China. But health experts say travel measures targeting a specific region have not worked in past years at stopping the spread of the coronavirus or any variants. Is pre-departure testing going to prevent strains from coming here? Absolutely not. We know that. We know that these strains are, are already here. A policy like this will not impact the COVID trajectory that we have here in Canada. Chinese. During the height of the pandemic, there was a spike in anti-Asian hate incidents, with some conflating coronavirus with the Asian community. And while this time around concerns are more tempered, local community members say more education is still needed and racism is still very real. I understand that people might concern about uh, whether this will cause people uh, to have a bias against the local Chinese community, but I hope this is not going to happen. And we have to educate our ignorance, try to break that association between the people's appearance and where they are from. For now, it's a wait and see game for whether the renewed measures will be successful, and if so, at what cost? Krista Dow, Global News. And we are learning more tonight about the growing number of respiratory illnesses in this province, including RSV and COVID-19. Let's bring in our Keith Baldry in Victoria. What do these new numbers tell us, Keith? It tells us we're still in the middle of the respiratory illness season and we're seeing numbers we haven't seen for years because flu and RSV basically disappeared uh, for the first two years of the pandemic. It's come back with a vengeance though. I've been tracking the numbers, showing them from night to night. So here's the latest for as of yesterday and compared to where we were uh, over the last 10 days. COVID is now up 42 people in hospital more. These are the most serious cases. ICU numbers a little down there. That's encouraging. Best news here, influenza seems to have hit a peak last week, down 22 two cases in hospital non-critical and ICU numbers are down as well. RSV though is a concern. It's up 16 cases of non-critical and look at the ICU numbers there. 23 people in ICU, many of them young people. And speaking of young people, we've been reporting on Children's Hospital and how busy it is there. Take a look at what happened during Christmas week there. The number of ER visits is really quite high. 83 families visited the ER on Christmas Day. 123 visits on Boxing Day. 105 daily average visits from Christmas Day to New Year's Eve. 
19th. That's much higher than is the usually the norm. Again, our vaccination rate for influenza among small kids is still fairly low. I think stats like this sort of amplify the argument to get your kids vaccinated. There's still a lot of flu vaccine out there. And I'm reminded that COVID is not gone, unfortunately. Very true. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. 2022 was a record year for immigration in Canada, and those numbers are set to climb over the coming years. But provincial authorities and advocacy groups are warning with more immigration comes an increasing need for support from the federal government, especially when it comes to health care and housing. Richard Zussman reports. An incredible opportunity. That's how Alejandro and Maria Herrera describe immigrating to Metro Vancouver from Mexico with their two young children, with one big challenge. We found it that it was very difficult at the beginning because, of course, we mm, had never rented a place before. The couple part of the early wave of new arrivals. Canada welcomed 431,645 permanent residents in 2022, a record with a goal of 465,000 new immigrants to this country in 2023, 485,000 more in 2024, and 500,000 in 2025. Is it time now for the BC government to, to put out its own forecast, its own 10-year immigration plan, based on um, uh, past uh, you know, statistics and settlement patterns. But the challenge the province faces is little information coming from Ottawa. The federal government isn't providing specifics on how many of those immigrants are in BC or how many more will come. What is clear is no matter how many arrivals are here and coming, there isn't enough housing. That's why BC's new housing minister is calling on Ottawa to step up. I think the time has come for the federal government to actually tie immigration numbers to affordable housing targets and as well as new housing starts. The other challenge is the province has no control on where new immigrants move within the province, making it harder to match workers with open jobs or new immigrants with available housing. We don't want people to come here and we're giving them opportunities and saying we need your skill sets and then find out when they get here that in fact they're sleeping seven, eight people to a one bedroom suite. There are um, more uh, immigrants interested in looking outside Metro Vancouver, but they have very little information. Canada is also seeing record numbers of temporary residents, from international students to temporary workers, just adding to the pressure Lopez, Herrera, and pretty much everyone else is feeling to find childcare, healthcare, and those homes. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Annual property assessments are now out, and while assessed values are up across the board, homeowners are being cautioned they are not an accurate reflection of today's real estate market. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the numbers are based on the market back in July, before things started to cool down. New year, new reality. Forced down by rate hikes and reluctant sellers, house prices have fallen across B.C., you wouldn't know it, though, by logging on to BC Assessment's website Tuesday. While values were up almost everywhere, it was particularly noticeable in the Fraser Valley. Like Surrey, Langley, Abbotsford, places like that, you know, you still saw a bit of a continuation from the, uh, the bigger changes that we saw last year. In Vancouver, home prices were up, detached houses up 7%, strata up 6 In Surrey, the number was double digits. 13% for detached, 16% for strata. Similar in Langley, where houses were up 15 and condos up 13. Numbers that are not reality. The value in July, not what today's value might be. 
In some cases, the real-time assessment might be as much as 10 to 15 percent lower. Uh, you know, the, the decreases that we've seen since the peak last spring were steeper when you get out to the Fraser Valley. The true valuation might actually be lower than that, especially in areas that saw huge growth in the first half of the year. It's not uncommon to see a, a suburban house in the, in the valley or in the, in the suburbs down you know, 20%, 25% in some cases. A look at the data also shows growth in areas outside the metro region, Squamish, Pemberton, Seashelt. While those markets have cooled as well, they were boosted by pandemic work opportunities. Some people being able to work at home, I think through which really allowed them to look at other housing options. Despite real world prices falling, the threshold to get a helping hand from the government on property taxes is going up. Homes with assessments over $2.1 million now qualify for a 2023 homeowner's grant. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Frustration is peaking for residents of a Langley condo building living next door to a growing hole in the ground. A neighboring construction project caused the cave-in over Christmas, and now, more than a week later, why people who live in Michaud Gardens still aren't sure if their homes are safe. That's next on the News Hour. The play that shook the NFL and the rest of the professional sports world. The latest on DeMar Hamlin's condition and what caused him to go down. That's later. Plus, there's this uh, idea that the world seems to have that baton twirling isn't cool. From batons to the big screen, the surprising career trajectory of a championship twirler still to come. Right now, though, frustrations are boiling over in Langley, where residents of a condo complex are still dealing with the fallout from a construction collapse next door. As Amadagahi reports, they say they want answers as to exactly what happened and what the future holds for their homes. The, the fault line of where the crack is is, uh, is really close to our foundation. Their power has been restored, but that's about all condo owners at Langley's Michaud Gardens are happy about. I've been very stressed. If, if anything collapses or slides, we're on the bottom floor. Work continues intensely on the construction site for the rental building development by Penny Farthing Apartments. But on the neighboring property, things are getting ugly. She's throwing glass plates at the workers. Frustrations boiling over last Friday when a resident is seen throwing China out a balcony window. The RCMP were called. We've had, uh, you know, some residents have, like, kind of mental breakdowns. Um, I, the morning of Christmas morning, I, I stress vomited. That was my Christmas morning. Early on Christmas morning, residents lost power. And when the snow melted, they discovered the ground just steps away from their units was split in two. There was movement in a portion of the shoring wall excavated on the adjacent property. Holy look at that. Those who live here say almost immediately the trees on their property were cut down without explanation. Under the direction of its geotechnical engineers, the construction management company involved here says that it has trucked in gravel to stabilize the site temporarily while they design a more permanent solution. Through only an emailed statement, Trillium Project says it is working as fast as safely possible to remediate the lands and will continue to update residents directly about the progress it's making on the site. It, it's been sinking progressively every day. Without the answers they need, Michaud Gardens residents now feel they have been made to continue living through a situation which at this stage 
is nowhere near settled. As a first-time homeowner, I thought, great, what did I just get myself into? Um, it's, been, it's been really hard mentally, like just for all of us. Emad Agahi, Global News. Coming up, the tragic toll on the roads, even for those who survive. Every time I get in a vehicle, I'm very nervous. The one month that sadly stood out from the rest, next on the News Hour. Also ahead, bus service suspended. The vital link lost on Vancouver Island. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge, with just a little bit of volume on the Columbia on-ramp to head south. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $30 million. Lotto Max stream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. A major step forward in the planned SkyTrain expansion from Surrey to Langley. The project is now moving to the request for proposal stage, with the B.C. government inviting two teams to fully flesh out their plans to design, build and finance the 16-kilometre line. The winning bid will be announced next year. Current estimated cost for the project is just shy of $4 billion, with trains expected to start running in late 2028. And work is beginning to repair a giant pothole that opened up last week on the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. The hole appeared in the center southbound lane. A temporary steel plate is holding the fort for now. Construction workers have erected scaffolding under the bridge and over the coming days they will reinforce the bridge deck, installing new rebar and pouring new concrete. Most of the work will be done from underneath the bridge and at night to avoid inconveniencing drivers. It will take several days to complete. Well, a shocking number of people in B.C. were killed in motor vehicle incidents last year, and police say many of those crashes were preventable. As our Kamal Karamali found out, one month in particular was among the most difficult ever for the officers who had to make that knock on the door of a victim's family. One collision Watch out! after another. Across the Lower Mainland in 2022, resulting in dozens of deaths and injuries. And then they found that the seven broken ribs. Keith Colpitts still recovering from his injuries from a collision involving a stolen car, but grateful it wasn't worse. They told me if I'd have been five feet further in the intersection, I'd have been a fatality too. So that kind of messes with your head a bit. The past year saw plenty of devastation on the roads, but it was one month in particular that was deadlier than the rest. What the hell happened here? It was certainly a terrible December, yeah. In all of 2022, out of the more than 200 collisions, the Integrated Collision Analysis and Reconstruction Service attended more than 70 fatal incidents across the Lower Mainland, Fraser Valley and the Sea to Sky. Fairly average compared to past years, but December of 2022 became one of the worst months in recent history with 11 fatalities attended by iCARS. Compare that to seven in each of the previous two years and five in 2019. We did find that there was a large number of those were pedestrian-related collisions. That could involve pedestrians uh, not walking on the sidewalk due to the snow. There's any number of factors that could come into it. December 2022, I think, was particularly bad. I think, I think the weather was, was an issue. Three of those pedestrian fatalities in December took place in Surrey. Sergeant Thomas Boyce and his team had the gut-wrenching task of notifying next of kin after each fatal collision. It is the worst part of our job as a police officer is to notify 
the family that their loved one uh, was unexpectedly killed. Now, a hope the new year will ring in better driving behavior and fewer instances of showing up at people's doors to deliver bad news. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A key bus route on Vancouver Island has been abruptly suspended. The company is saying it simply can't make a go of it at this time of the year, leaving people scrambling for alternatives to get them to and from the west coast of the island. As Kylie Stanton reports, that decision has left travellers with few affordable options. Empty buses sitting idle. The service now officially suspended, catching would-be passengers off guard. I was disappointed, quite disappointed. It is a complete lifeline. Wilson's group of companies made the decision to pause service on the Tofino bus and Vancouver Island connector in mid-December. On its website, it states, since the COVID-19 pandemic, which saw a 95% decline in ridership, passenger counts have not returned to a sustainable level year-round. We have no other choice but to continue to make difficult operational changes. We were right up until the last minute, um, you know, trying to find ways to make it work. Uh, and unfortunately, we just had to pull the trigger uh, for January 3rd. This means there is no longer a link to the west side of Vancouver Island until the intercity service resumes in May. From Victoria, north to Parksville, and west to Port Alberni, Tofino, and Euclulet, providing a safe alternative, particularly for women, who consider it not only a lifeline, but potentially a lifesaver. We have a lot of missing, murdered Indigenous women around and you know we just don't want to have those kind of situations occurring. But this is not the first time the service has been pulled. During the pandemic the lack of ridership meant Wilson's had no choice but to shut down the routes indefinitely. Only resuming after the provincial government provided the company with more than 2.6 million dollars in grant funding. Now there's hope the province will step in once again. If something does come up, uh, we would be more than happy to restart the service before um, the scheduled May restart. In a statement, the Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure says the ministry is in regular communications with Wilsons to better understand the issue and will continue to look for a solution. But in the meantime, it leaves those who rely on the service virtually cut off. I'm kind of going, did we make the right decision moving up here? For somebody to fly out or for somebody to taxi out of town, like that disparity between the haves and the have-nots just is increasing again. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, a travel insurance nightmare for a visitor to Canada. This has been a harsh, harsh lesson for us. How a trip from the UK to Calgary is costing tens of thousands of dollars in hospital bills. Plus a trailblazer in treating alcohol addiction, paying tribute to the BC physician who faced his own health battles. Good evening. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. You've got two lanes north and south and traffic is in good shape both ways. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A trip to visit family in Calgary has turned into a travel nightmare for a man from the UK who ended up sick and in hospital. As Tomasia De Silva reports, the hospital bill is now nearly $100,000. Had a little bit of a cough on myself, nothing major. About five or six hours into the flight, 
He started to really, really feel unwell. He started to panic. Max Verlander couldn't help panicking either, fearful for his 59-year-old dad, David. They put him on oxygen for the remainder of the flight. The father of four from the UK was met by paramedics upon arrival. He promised to see a doctor the next day, which he did. But four days later, Christmas morning. He just deteriorated completely. He was in absolute agony. Verlander was rushed to hospital where he remains in ICU, fighting various lung infections and now the family says kidney failure. Hopefully we just see him wake up soon because that is the toughest part is going back every day and we're seeing no change. The only change, the ever-piling bill from the hospital. It's looking like at least $10,000 a night, realistically. Obviously, looking into the insurance, he looked into it. It was so expensive on his end. Um, Daughter Olivia is watching this unfold from across the pond. She says her dad thought he was okay. And even if he wasn't, the credit card used to make the booking would cover him. So I just don't think it crossed any of our, any of our minds that anything would go wrong. Um, and we just thought, obviously, we had that backup anyway. People should not be relying on a credit card. First of all, it has a lot of exclusions and limitations. We can start with pre-existing medical conditions. Insurance experts say travelers should get the right policy for their individual needs, regardless of the cost. For the price that you pay for travel medical insurance versus the potential savings and the financial protection you get is an absolute worth it. This has been a harsh, harsh lesson for us. The family says it's too late to focus on that they're just focusing on their dad. We just take it day at a time. An Okanagan physician who made it his mission to help people overcome alcoholism is being honored in a new documentary. Dr. Jeff Harries has been described as a trailblazer, and as Randy Marie Adams reports, he carried out his work while facing his own health battles. So Jeff was a maverick in so many different areas of medicine. Dr. Jeff Harry spent a significant amount of time learning and restructuring the way people who suffer from alcohol use disorder are treated. He had done a lot of study within his patient population around that struggled with alcohol. And he went to the literature and he actually found medications that help reduce cravings in the brain. While Dr. Harries didn't create these medications himself, he instead revolutionized how to treat a patient with a focus on compassion and care. Well, one of the things that Jeff believed in is bringing hope. This is now going to be seen as a medical condition, a disease of the brain, uh, for which there's hope for treatment. Dr. Harries was diagnosed with ALS in 2018, but battled through the deterioration. He traveled around the country giving speeches, but soon lost his voice because of the disease. I was approached by somebody who worked with Dr. Harry's uh, as a colleague who was looking for a way to help uh, record his story and his message. During that process, we realized that we could put together a little short film that he could use to uh, uh, take place of his presentation. In November of 2021, Dr. Harry's passed away from ALS complications. Now, an educational video has been turned into a documentary to recognize his work. Dr. Harry's was an incredibly personable, friendly, accepting human being in all that he did from what we saw. After being released in early 2022, the documentary dubbed Smashed has won numerous awards and of course continues helping those not only battling the symptoms of alcohol use disorder, but also the stigmas often associated with it.
Randy Marie Adams, Global News, Penticton. Well, for those pinching pennies post-holidays, this might not sit well with you. Royally screwed. How much Canada's richest CEOs have already made this year? Plus... A delicate maneuver, a tricky landing in northern B.C. caught on camera. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when B.C. needs to connect, B.C. turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Well, just before we get to the forecast, BC's Transportation Ministry posted a, an interesting video today that we thought we'd share with you. A helicopter picking up a crew doing maintenance on a radio and weather station high above Highway 37 in northwestern BC. Watch closely. The helicopter lands within two meters of the technicians. On the ground, the pilot gives a smile and a nod to the camera for a job well done. And the two techs on the ground don't even flinch. They know that pilot can handle that landing. All right, let's bring in uh, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast as we uh, mm -hmm. head into 2023. Here we are, 2023. Happy New Year to you, Sophie, and to everyone at home. Uh, we started off um, the new year with not bad conditions, although today was a little cool and wet. We do have some bright weather in the forecast. But first, I thought we would look back at 2022. Over in terms of both temperature and precipitation, we were on average throughout the year. However, that didn't really tell the story of 2022 as we well know it. We had huge swings in both temperature and precipitation. We had dry spells and some extremely wet spells as well. So looking back, spring uh, had the rainiest, uh, rainiest spring on record with at the eighth rainiest. And then the summer fall period was the driest, the third driest on record. And so that went from July through September. But as we well know, a good part of October was also very dry. August was the warmest on record, but July was the 11th warmest, September the 5th warmest, and October also very, very warm indeed. And then all of a sudden we plunged in temperature in November, and it was the third coldest November on record, and December was also very cold. So yes, we had extremes this 2022. We had to keep on our toes, that's for sure. Now, Here's a look at the next system that's going to roll in, not until tomorrow night. So we are expecting a fair amount of sunshine tomorrow. That is the bright spot over the next little while because overall we are expecting some precipitation. So definitely keep your rain jacket handy. Although it is going to be mild across the south coast, temperatures in through the interior near seasonal for tomorrow with sunshine. Still some cloud cover, especially in through the early morning hours across the region. But overall we should be enjoying sunshine with 7 degrees as our daytime high. Nice and warm on Thursday with a high of 11 degrees. We are expecting showers on Thursday. And as you can see, overall, it is going to be mild through the weekend. And we are expecting some rainfall tonight. Central Windows weather window coming to you from Cultus Lake. New Year's Day, where we did enjoy a bit of sunshine across the region as well. A beautiful shot looking at the layers of the clouds. And of course, some uh, snow off in the distance. All right, Sophie, back to you. Nice to see that blue sky. Thanks, Christy. Well, while inflation has many Canadians counting every penny, the country's 1% is bringing in more cash than ever before. A new report shows Canada's top 100 CEOs earn more than 240 times the average worker on an annual basis. 
Kyle Benning has more. With the holiday season and Boxing Day sales over, a lot of Canadians will be using the coming weeks and months to take a closer look at their personal bank accounts. How do you think the average Canadian is going into this year? Royally screwed. They've climbed the ladder, and but but the taxation isn't fair in my opinion. Anything that we could get lower would be great, you know, we're counting everything. And with inflation keeping many financially frustrated, the country's highest paid CEOs are earning more than ever. The yearly report by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives says Canada's top 100 earning CEOs made an average of $14 million in 2021, more than 243 times the average Canadian salary of $58,000. The report's author noted that while many earn six or seven figure base salaries, they capitalize on performance incentives driven by inflation over the last 18 months. Your pay after adjusting for inflation went down 2% over the course this year. CEO pay went up by 26% even after you include inflation. It's a stark difference from 2008 when the CCPA started calculating CEO income. McDonald says 60% of executives from that report would not have cracked the 2022 list. However, the Ontario Living Wage Network says while the disparity is large, it does include 41 employers in its organization that offer employees a living wage. There are executives out there that are not uh, the same, uh, not taking the same approach as the ones that are listed in this report. The CCPA recommends Ottawa make tax changes, including a wealth tax, to offer services to address inequality. We shouldn't be living in a society where there's so much wealth um, and that so few people um, reap the benefits of that and the rest of us just try and survive. The report says it would take one of these CEOs about 43 minutes to earn what an average employee does in a year. Kyle Benning, Global News. All right. Well, we are not the 1%. <laughs> Far from it. I'd like to get paid by the 43-minute mark. Yeah. By the 43-minute mark, you're rich. Okay. It is the 43-minute mark Quite a now. job. Yeah, no, you still have some work to do. Sorry. I do have some work to yeah. do. Yeah, you got to earn it. Um, here we go. Uh, Canucks are playing tonight against the Islanders. Bruce Boudreaux said this morning that Thatcher Demko was skating on his own before practice. He felt pretty good. He's hoping to uh, at least put the equipment on, hoping... Um, before this week is out. Bruce has a little nick on his head. Uh, the Canucks are hoping he can come back and play sometime this month. He suffered a lower body injury right there on December 1st. Also tonight. The BC stunt person who started her career with a very different kind of prop. Right around this time last night, we were learning that horrible news yes. from uh, Monday Night Football. Yes, that happened uh, to DeMar Hamlin, of course, of the Buffalo Bills. And today, his uncle spoke to CNN and told everyone that the uh, Buffalo Bills defensive back had to have his heart resuscitated twice last night after suffering a cardiac arrest after he made a tackle 
during the game between Buffalo and Cincinnati. He had to be resuscitated once on the field and once when he got to hospital. He is still sedated. He's still in critical condition. According to his uncle, he needs a ventilator right now to help him breathe, and he is still in a Cincinnati hospital. Now, the NFL says the Bengals and Bills will not finish their game this week. They'll play the teams they're scheduled to play on Sunday. Both teams are in the playoffs right now trying to get a higher seed. So the feeling is they'll have to play each other before the postseason begins. But there's another rumor running around the NFL that they might possibly declare the game a tie and not finish playing it. Nothing has been decided as of yet. Well, the Canucks are back home tonight. They're taking on the New York Islanders, which means a homecoming for Matt Barzell. Vancouver fell back below the 500 mark after losing to the Jets and Flames before New Year's. The Islanders lost Sunday in Seattle. They have struggled a bit on the road of late. So with more on tonight's game, let's get a preview from Jay, who's at Rogers Arena. The Vancouver Canucks ended the calendar year with uninspiring losses in Winnipeg and Calgary. Tonight they begin a month of January where the calendar is heavily skewed against teams who are either Stanley Cup contenders or playoff-bound teams. Twice this month they're going to take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Twice they'll face the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. And then sandwiched in between are games against the Pittsburgh Penguins, Carolina Hurricanes, Winnipeg Jets and Edmonton Oilers. It is a schedule that the Canucks are very much aware of. It's, you know, it comes down to make or break for our season, really. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough test, but I think, you know, Bruce has alluded to it. You know, we've played some of these teams before. We've beat them. We've had success. It's just a great measuring stick for us. You know, we have an opportunity here to put our best foot forward throughout this month and just kind of silence the noise of what's happened in the past year. You know, it's been so up and down and in between that we had a chance during New Year just to kind of, you know, push hard, uh, you know, continue being that conversation or really take a stride as a team. To be a playoff team, I think you need to, to put some uh, winning streaks uh, together. Uh, and um, what's a better better time to do it now uh, with, a, with a tough schedule and, and uh, two at home and then, then go on the road? Habits is a big part of it. Um, you know, you look at a lot of our games this year, we're you know, really good for part of the game and we seem to slip away for whatever reason. Uh, you know, we... You know, our big thing this year is we haven't been able to put together full 60 minutes. So Tonight, the Vancouver Canucks face a New York Islanders club that is very much in the thick of a playoff race of their own. It's the Capitals, Rangers, Islanders, and Devils all very much in the playoff mix in the East. And the Islanders, by the way, are coming off of a 4-1 loss in Seattle on Sunday. Uh, I remember last year they had a bad game in Calgary, and they came into our building and they scored five in the first ten minutes. So we better be prepared for them. So it's the New York Islanders tonight, the Colorado Avalanche on Thursday, and then the Canucks begin their five-game road trip beginning Sunday in Winnipeg. With your ringside report from Rogers Arena, Jay Janor, Global Sports. And it looks like Spencer Martin will be the starting goalie tonight. Colin Delia will be the backup, which brings us to the subject of Thatcher Demko, whom we have not seen since the game against Florida on December 1st when he suffered a yet-to-be-specified lower body injury. The initial prognosis back in December was that Demko would be ready by the middle of this month, which at the moment appears to be on track since he was skating this morning without his equipment. Skated this morning and he felt pretty good. He's hoping to uh, at least put the equipment on, hoping um, before this week is out. I will take him on the road, but I, you know, I mean, there's some guys that I think sometimes need work down there. I don't think Thatcher's a guy. If, if he has a few good practices, and I mean, we're not anticipating him back within a week or anything, but I mean, uh, he'd be the kind of guy I would think. It's not my decision, but uh, that uh, uh, would be able to step in after a couple of good practices, I would think. 
This is probably a good time to remind everybody that North Vancouver's Connor Bedard is only 17 years old, even though he plays the game at a lot higher level than his age would suggest. And that before his 18th birthday next July, he will be the most prized draft choice and the best thing to happen to a bad team in a long time. And right now, at the moment, the Canucks have a 5% chance of winning the Bedard lottery and getting him. I know, the Canucks have no lottery luck. Tomorrow, Connor Bedard and Canada will play the Americans in the World Junior semi-finals. That were goal you, was spectacular. You, there you go. What were you doing at 17? Not that. Not that. Not that. Neither was I. I was causing my parents grief, but I think. But look at you now. I know. Look at me now. Mm -hmm. All right. Up next, from baton twirler to big screen, the unlikely beginnings of a Vancouver stunt performer's career. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. Jordan Armstrong standing by now with a look ahead to what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, an eye-opening stat tweeted and later deleted by the Vancouver Fire Department today is shining a light on a wider dilemma. What to do about fire safety issues in SRO buildings? The fire department says they responded to a single SRO building 504 times last year for various emergency calls. At 11, why SRO operators say enforcing no smoking rules isn't easy and can actually put more people onto the street. Plus, the charity donation drop due to the Vancouver Park Board's failure to keep the Stanley Park train on track. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. We'll see you at 11. Well, she was a world-class baton twirler who turned her childhood passion into what's now a successful career on the big screen. Vancouver's Michelle C. Smith is a stunt performer known for putting a unique spin on the craft. Here's Jada Rant with This Is BC. Millions of followers are watching Michelle C. Smith change some attitudes towards a very unique skill set she learned as a kid. There's this uh, idea that the world seems to have that baton twirling isn't cool and that it's just cheerleading and marching in a parade. She was one of the best in the country, claiming multiple world championship medals. So this is the gold that I won. Uh, and then we've got three silver medals here. A talent that ultimately led to film fighting and stunt work. Action! I feel like I was just following the breadcrumbs. Whoa. I knew that there was something more that I could do with it. But this is not the line of work that first drew her to Vancouver. I wanted to be a professional dancer, dance for the Backstreet Boys, and then I got here, they weren't cool anymore. That drive to perform landed her a spot with the Underground Circus Company, where she met some local stunt performers. That's how I got in. I just started making friends. One day, somebody was playing with a sword. I was like, I can do that. Watch me. And they were like, you should do stunts. I should. Yeah. Now she's also a fight coordinator for film and TV. <laughs> Has her own academy teaching actors and others these skills while offering online tutorials through social media, despite sometimes being targeted by trolls. 
You wouldn't do that with a real lightsaber. No, no, we would not. Because <laughs> lightsabers aren't real, my friends. <laughs> hey! This is one baton twirler you might not want to mess with. Follow those breadcrumbs towards a successful career. Even now, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just one day at a time, trying my best, and look what's happened. Jay Durant, Global News. Oh, she does. T-shirt. Say that again, because your mic wasn't on. Oh, I see. Oh. You're on now. You're on now. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, she was fighting with a Canucks T-shirt on. Well. As one does. Maybe they need her. Maybe, maybe she's... A, yeah, but everything she was doing would be a penalty. She's hitting people with a stick. That's a good point. Well, if you do know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. She's handy with that baton. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Christy, final word on the weather goes to you. I would love to advertise that we have more sunshine on the way. It's really just one day. I think we'll take it, though, because we don't really have a choice, do we? I'm sure there'll be some breaks in the days to come, but overall, starting Thursday, it looks like we've got a very mild but wet string of weather on the way. Uh, temperatures warming up to about 11 degrees on Thursday, which is well above seasonal, but it certainly comes with some rainfall. So enjoy the sunshine tomorrow, and Happy New Year to everyone. I hope everyone had a great holiday. And welcome back from your holidays, too. All right, that's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for watching. Good night, all.